Hello everyone, this is the Desi Condition. I'm Tonushri, and in today's episode, I wanted to talk about ADD and ADHD. I'm not going to have a guest in this episode like I normally do because this is actually a personal topic for me because I have ADD. I thought for a long time about who to have as a guest and I went through like this whole list of people and then I just realized that I think this is something that I need to explore myself and and disseminate information on myself. Um, which makes a lot of sense because this is something that has impacted my life for a very long time. I found out that I have ADD back um, like eight years ago. I was in college and I was having a really difficult time. I never made the best grades, but I did pretty I did pretty well usually um, with my grades. And then they just really started to drop when I was in college. I was a mechanical engineering major and I had like all these people in my ear telling me that like, okay, maybe mechanical engineering just isn't really for you, which I felt that was was untrue. And I, I felt that that was unfair because I knew when I was trying to study that there was something just like blocking input. Like that was literally what I said to the psychiatrist when I eventually went and tried to figure out what was going on with me. I, I thought that it was actually an anxiety disorder, which is not untrue because anxiety can often be a byproduct of having ADD or ADHD. But really what was going on is that I was I was reading the material and I was like, just just not getting to a point where I was even comprehending anything. So how can I determine whether or not I'm able to understand engineering if I haven't gotten to the point where I can even like process the information to begin with? So anyway, that was kind of my like story with ADD. That was eight years ago. And then um, I, you know, I found out I have ADD. I found like all these like coping mechanisms that I started exploring with. I did also explore with medication for a little while. Um, and then it was actually hilarious because my GPA like literally doubled like in one semester, which was pretty cool. It made me feel pretty good about myself. Um, and it also was pretty reassuring for me to feel like, okay, I'm, I actually can be an engineer. I actually can study this thing. It's not that I'm not smart enough for it. It's not that it's not for me. So my type of ADD is the inattentive type of ADD, and there's three different types. The inattentive type, which is my type, you're usually distracted but not necessarily hyperactive, which is often the stereotype, I think, with people who have ADD. The second type is ADHD. The H refers to the word hyperactive. Um, so they're hyperactive, impulsive, not necessarily inattentive, but do become inattentive because they're being hyper. And then there's a third type, which is a combined um, inattentive and hyperactive type. I know a lot of people who have ADD or ADHD or a combination type of ADHD, and um, I find that it's really difficult to deal with, especially in the immigrant community in which um, it's not accepted as a real illness or a real disorder. I remember growing up, my teachers always told my parents like, wow, she's so bright, but so lazy, um, such a daydreamer. And I mean, they told my mom that I was lazy. That's what they told my parents, that I, w I was lazy, so bright, but so lazy. And that was something that was difficult for me as someone with parents who have trained me to to not just like do well, but to overachieve. But aside from school, another really difficult thing for me, and I still go through this, this is like, I mean, it's it's a disorder. It's a lifelong condition. 
aside from being a daydreamer, I'm constantly having to deal with mental and emotional clutter. And somewhat ironically, that's what I experienced with this episode too, because I just had like so much clutter going on with my brain. I felt like I had to scrap uh, what I was doing a few times and then I like lost track of what I was doing. And I think also I had this like emotional clutter because this is such a personal episode for me. So I have actually been sitting on this episode for months. And these last few days, I've just been like racking my brain trying to figure out how to do it. Like who do I want to bring on the show and um, exactly which parts of this do I want to do. And actually I have a whole outline and it's in front of me and I'm not using any of it right now. I'm literally just like speaking from my heart right now because I guess this is just the way that this episode was meant to be. Um, what was I talking about? I have ADD, so I forgot what I was talking about. Big surprise there. And this outline in front of me is completely useless for me because I've been ignoring it clearly. Um, right, so I was talking about the challenges that come with having ADD and ADHD. Being a daydreamer, having like mental and emotional clutter, um, often some byproducts, like I was talking about before, like having anxiety can be a byproduct of having ADD because like you're just so um, unfocused and it can affect your schoolwork, your relationships, um, everything else in your life. Just you trying to be like organized and do things in a timely manner. It can give you anxiety, depression. Lots of people also end up um, abusing drugs or having developing OCD and as well as having sleep disorders. Sleep disorders is like a really common thing. I don't sleep like a human and part of it is because I have ADD. A lot of it is because I have ADD. I don't really sleep, I just kind of just like nap and I've always been like that like my whole life. Um, it is very rare for me to have like one eight hour block of sleep. Those are beautiful, beautiful nights for me. <laughs> and it's not just because I'm really busy. And I was talking about before about how it can affect your social life, which took me a long time to realize because I've definitely had falling outs in relationships because, I mean, if someone you're in a relationship with feels as though you're not listening to them or you're not paying attention to them or you're not remembering things that they're saying, then that's of course going to affect your relationship with them. I will forget things or like lose track of conversations. I mean, I live by my phone these days. I live by it. I have to put every little thing in there. Um, my phone calendar and my, my to-do list looks like it belongs to like an insane person, but that is what I have to do in order to make sure that I do things on time and also maintain the relationships that I have in my life. Um, because time management is a huge issue for people with ADD. If you're not even focusing on what you're doing, how are you gonna have like a good sense of time? So Having a good sense of time is also really difficult. You end up procrastinating. And then a lot of times you start to become defensive because you know that you're capable of, I don't know, being a mechanical engineering major, but you're not able to prove it. And that can be so much, especially if you come from a background that would never consider that maybe what you're going through is something that's out of your control and just being told to like sit down and do the work and that'll simply be okay. And you sit down and do the work, and but, but it's not working. It's just not working. And it took me many, many years to realize that it's not my fault. Um, and I think that I still kind of struggle with that, thinking that if I'm not able to do something on time or if I'm not able to like finish a task, that it's my fault. Even though it's been eight years since my diagnosis and I've like learned so much, I've gone through all these coping mechanisms, 
And it, it it's something, I mean, it's a disorder, like it's something that will always stay with me. And it's something that I always have to manage. And so I'm always going to have these residual feelings of like, getting defensive or, or getting um, depressed. And so treatment is really important for ADD. But that's actually what I wanted to talk about in this episode. Because treatment is often flawed. I find that there's kind of like two schools of thought on this. There's going to medication and then there's other more like behavioral therapy in order to manage ADD. And I mean, I don't think either of those really work for everyone. I think there's actually problems with both of those things. Medicine is not going to be for everyone, but it does help a lot of people. The problem is that sometimes some of the symptoms of ADD are often mistaken for a behavioral issue, people become misdiagnosed and the real issue behind behavioral problems in children is like a disconnection to society or lack of nurturing, maybe stressful parenting, and then we end up replacing this either chemically with medicine or with just the wrong type of therapy. Sometimes people are prescribed a drug, but then that's all that happens. And ADD is really more than just, I can't focus, you know? We need to look at the whole person in order to provide treatment that's effective. And I was actually looking into different treatment methods in India, and um, I came upon some really fascinating research that had to do with socioeconomic status and ADHD in India. At one point, it was suggesting that ADHD should be approached as a public health issue. Um, Western medicine argues that statistically 5.29% of the population in the world has ADHD. But that number is kind of confusing because that number is often used as a marketing tool by big pharma and psychiatrists to argue that ADHD is universal, uniform, and independent of culture. That any variations in that number in other specific studies that have been conducted as methodological problems. It hasn't really been studied enough, I don't think, to conclude that there isn't a variation in that number. And it's not just, I don't think, I mean, there are real scientists and experts in this field and not just like me talking in my living room at a, at a microphone saying that. Um, it hasn't been studied enough to conclude that there isn't a variation in that number, that there aren't pockets of the world in which children experience higher rates of ADHD than in other parts of the country, that there is no saturation and that number is too simple because ADHD is more nuance than that. So if you actually look at the history of ADHD in India, it's really, really new. I mean, India is one of the most populous countries in the world. So surprisingly, it was actually pretty slow at jumping on the ADHD bandwagon. Back in the 60s, some psychiatrists tried to treat hyperactivity with like Ayurvedic treatments, but that was kind of an outlier. It wasn't really until the 80s that people started questioning if there was any correlation between uh, perinatal factors, perinatal meaning the number of weeks immediately before and after birth, or like socioeconomic status and family, but by the thousands, articles about ADHD increasingly resembled that of more Western medicine beliefs. So ADHD, in conclusion, essentially came to India because it was pushed by pharmaceutical companies and Indian physicians who wanted to promote Western medicine. So we have this background of Indians not really wanting to accept ADD as 
a real um, condition and then starting to because of Western influences. Um, but one thing that's really interesting that I found in my research, there was a study done in Golkata that talks about the willingness of parents to accept an ADHD diagnosis. And by the way, I keep saying ADHD. Um, I'm trying to include ADHD plus ADD plus a combined type. So just keep that in mind that I'm actually talking about all the types. Right, they, there was a willingness to, a willingness, willingness, what is willingness? Willingness to um, accept a diagnosis in the hopes that pharmaceuticals would give their child an edge in terms of school, um, exams, universities, etc., school entrance, whatever. Um, so while most people are reluctant or resistant to an ADHD diagnosis, that's not always the case. I was really surprised to read that personally because um, I normally would see a brown parent that accepts an ADD or ADHD diagnosis and, and is willing to treat it as a parent who is progressive, but it's actually not that um, or not necessarily that. And we all know that India's educational environment is highly competitive, to say the least. So the stigma associated with having some kind of a psych psychiatric disorder is superseded by the parents' desire to see their kid succeed in school and in their career. But the interesting part of this is that this attitude is particularly common in lower middle class India, which is where this study was conducted. And I'll put up links for all this stuff on my website. I have like a ton of articles um on this I one day just like kind of started reading about ADD and I just like deep dived into it and I just became like so absorbed it's like I said before I had this whole thing of notes in front of me and I'm not not even looking at it at this point because I've just been like mulling this over in my mind for like so long by the way I mentioned earlier that people with ADD tend to have like sleep problems I am now recording this at like three o'clock in the morning like the inspiration just came to me to do it now just like you know what I'm awake I'm just gonna do it anyway so this is particularly common in lower middle class India. I mean, sorry, lower middle class Kolkata, which is where the study had taken place. Uh, so now that we're talking about socioeconomic class, we start to see why maybe ADHD is a class issue um, and perhaps even a public health issue, which is the whole argument that I'm trying to make with this podcast. And there's actually lots of researchers suggesting that there are factors, that there are additional factors to consider when considering ADD uh, prevalence among children in India or anywhere. Factors such as environmental or nutritional factors like food or industrial pollutants such as lead. And then I read that and I was surprised because lead poisoning is a problem that is actually particular to immigrants here in New York City. There's like a whole movement about it. I'm going to do a whole episode about it. It's later problems, but it's, it's a thing that happens among uh, immigrants here. So lead in gasoline was phased out of India in 2001, which resulted in lower levels of lead in the blood of kids in the cities. But those levels of lead are still high in underserved, underprivileged areas. There's a study in Chennai that shows that children from lower socioeconomic backgrounds have higher levels of lead in their blood than their more wealthy peers and have correspondingly more psychiatric problems. There's evidence that supports the idea that lead can lead to a whole host of psychiatric disorders, not just ADD, but actually um, schizophrenia, mania, OCD, depression, anxiety, a likelihood towards substance abuse. I mean, it's lead is a neurotoxin. So it stands to reason that it, if it's affecting parts of our brain or like particular cognitive functions, then sure, that can become a, a mental disorder or illness of some type. It can affect your emotional functioning. It can affect your behavioral issues. 
And so because of all these reasons, there are researchers arguing that, and me arguing, that (laughs) these types of findings should have huge implications for the future of public health in developing nations, and that rather than adopting Western medicine and pharmaceuticals, it might be more effective to establish higher nutritional standards as a way to fight ADHD in developing countries. I really agree with this. We know that drug treatments are resisted among South Asians because of a combination of stigma um, and a fear of side effects, inefficacy, maybe fears of addiction, costs, among other factors, um, whatever they may be. There's a study that says that in India, only around 11% of kids have stayed on their medication even after a year. So that clearly demonstrates that there's not a lot of acceptance about it. Other explanations for non-adherence besides a lack of understanding or uh, having concerns about the drug itself are parents looking for other arguments to explain their children's behavior. For example, a lower socioeconomic group in Goa was studied, and it was shown that they were more willing to consider a more pluralistic approach to treatment by considering the whole person. So factors that are like psychological factors and educational, social even critiquing their own parenting and whatever other domestic factors, like environmental factors. Um, there, Some also went for educational or religious intervention, which I thought was really interesting because it seemed like almost like the most, I mean, they're, they're not using medication in this group, but um, it did seem like the most like holistic approach minus medicine and minus medicine is the key here and that that tends to happen people from lower socioeconomic classes in india or or in south asia tend to be more resistant to these western philosophies i don't really know if western psychiatry or eastern psychiatry is the answer personally i think the problem with both approaches is that they're treating the symptoms and not the whole person i found that for me And I don't want to say that the way I'm doing it is right either, but it's just my personal experience. The ways that I personally deal with ADD, whenever I want to follow an impulsive urge, I've gotten into the habit of asking myself, what if? What if I I follow this, this random urge that I have? What are going to be the consequences? Because often it's really hard to think about consequences because you're just working like a motor. Even though I'm the inattentive type, I'm not the hyperactive type, but I'm still like making these like snap decisions in my head. So I just like have to, I just have to train myself to be more mindful about these things that I'm thinking about. What if I'm in the middle of working on something and I allow my thoughts to stray onto this other other thing, this shiny new thought that just popped into my brain and I allow myself to follow down that rabbit hole I'm never going to finish this. So I, I do give myself a little time to get my thoughts back together. And it does take me, I think, like, especially because I'm not someone who really takes medication often for ADD. It does take me a little while to, like, get back into the zone of what I was doing. And it's very hard to pull myself back into it. But I, I've decided to allow myself to do that because I would rather take the extra time. This is a personal decision. I would rather take extra time to do something, like take a time and a half to finish something, than to um, be on medication and have to rely on that all the time. That's not to say I never take medication. 
but oftentimes I try not to. Um, and I think that a lot of that is because I just grew up without it, which I think incidentally was a good idea. I don't think it's good to be on too much medication when you're growing up if you don't really have to because... I mean, you're you're not developed at that point. That's my personal non-scientific opinion that I have as a non-medical professional. I think that if you don't absolutely need medication when you're growing up, it's probably best to not take it. But I will also say that as an adult, I do still have some guilt about taking medication to begin with, and that definitely contributes to my decision to take it maybe every so often rather than every day, which is what I've had doctors recommend for me. And it's true that maybe I don't need it and I'm clearly a high-functioning person without it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't make me more efficient and make it possible for me to live my best life. So that's a whole other issue in itself that ties a lot into the whole like having stigma um, around a mental illness and resisting medication. I'm definitely also victim to it. Um, so I found that asking myself what if is a really good way for me to get back on track, even if it means I'm taking that much longer to do stuff. Also just accepting myself, just accepting the fact that I take longer to do things. I just do, but that's okay. And I actually, I actually use inattentiveness to my advantage because my brain is switching around all of the place all the time that I'm able to multitask better than most people. ADD, people with ADD tend to be good multitaskers. They also tend to be good problem solvers. They're the type of people who see life as an adventure. In the face of adversity, they're able to look at challenges as just another activity to overcome. And people with ADD tend to be good problem solvers because they're always having to find alternate routes to get to where they need to be. And I mean that literally and metaphorically. So they tend to also have like quick reflexes in like their, you know, whether it's physical or mental. And in that way, for me, ADD is actually a bit of a misnomer because it's really more like hyper-focusing. Whatever I'm distracted with, I get hyper-focused on it, but I don't stay on that topic for very long. It's like jumping between wiki pages. I don't know if like anyone has ever played that game where like you go on any wiki page and just see where you end up. You just keep clicking around and just see where you end up. That is my life 25-7. That is what my brain is like, 25-7. But I see it as a good thing because I, the ability to be able to jump between so many different thoughts um, within a small time span means that I'm able to multitask a lot. And so I'm actually the type of person that ha I have like 27 extracurriculars. Um, I was, I've always been like this when I was in high school. I was on like swim team, math team, like yearbook. I was doing like all these things. I was like playing instruments. I was like doing everything at the same time. And I tend to perform better. And it's because I'm able to jump between things. I get more of a sense of accomplishment because I'm code switching all the time. And so honestly, I don't look at having ADD as having a disability, and it is technically qualified as a disability. When you're in school, you sign up for disability support services to get extra time for your exams and uh, project, things like that, because you actually do need the time. But my point is that even though it's labeled as a disability, I honestly don't see it as having a disability. Unfortunately, school makes it seem like it's a bad thing to be wired in ways that won't work for it. But I honestly think that 
you know, that's okay. It's okay to not be wired for school. Most people are not good at school. It's a small percentage of people that are naturally good at school and naturally wired for it. It's okay to be different. And it took me like all my years of school, <laughs> almost all my years of school to get to a point of understanding that. I actually remember when I was in grad school a few years ago, I was talking to, it was like the last year of my program. I think it was like the last semester of my program or the end of the first semester, something like that. Like I was towards the end of the program and I was talking to my graduate director and I accidentally let it slip to him that I have ADD and sometimes I have problems with anxiety and it totally changed my relationship with him. He was completely understanding of it and I really try not to tell people that in a professional setting. Um, I think that people tend to look down on it. And so I, I was trying to keep that kind of stuff on the down low, but I ended up saying it for whatever reason. And he was really receptive to it. He's, he actually said that, oh, like, you know, that actually makes a lot of sense because oftentimes it seems like you're very interested in your work and, you know, you're committed to it and you, you want to make better work and you want to learn more. But sometimes it seems like you get randomly lazy. And I was like, no, like, I'm not getting lazy. I'm actually just like having trouble refocusing, but I'm like trying to come back. He's like, okay, that's really good for me to know because now I know that like, it's not your fault that you're, you're not uninterested and that you're actually putting in the work. Unfortunately, a lot of South Asians aren't necessarily as understanding of ADD because there's a trend of expecting kids to be particularly obedient. So when they are acting out, it is treated as though it's a behavioral issue. Kids are getting punished for it and they're getting in trouble for acting out when it's something that they can't necessarily control. And then if it is treated, it is not treated holistically. And so we have these like pockets of people with ADD who don't necessarily know how to deal with it and, and have a, no a lot of knowledge about what ADD is, but still can't deal with it. And like they are choosing types of treatment that just aren't fully working for them and they're not reaching their full potential. And so I think in conjunction with the fact that in immigrant communities, there is a higher chance, especially in lower socioeconomic communities, there is a higher chance of having ADD, um, among other disorders, the fact that there is no knowledge and there is also not a lot of access to treatment are the reasons that I think that ADD is a public health issue. And not just for people to um, understand and treat ADD and prevent lead poisoning in these in different types of ways, but also ADD has a bad reputation, even though there are positives to it. You know, for example, like I was saying before, people with ADD tend to be creative, intuitive, curious, energetic, tend to have a different perception of the world, just tend to be unique people. You want to be around some of us, trust me. Also, there's a much higher diagnosis of boys with ADD than girls with ADD. And I forget the percentage. Um, I'll have to look it up. And I, I definitely have an article with that percentage. And I'll also put that on the website for further reading for anyone who's interested in that. Have you noticed all my shameless plugs for my website? <laughs> I'm very proud of it. I just want you all to be there. I don't, I mean, it's not my fault. I worked really hard on it. So please go visit my website. It's tdcpodcast.com. Okay, back to ADD. Um, <laughs> a lot of the ADD slash ADHD diagnoses go to boys rather than girls, although there's no real evidence that, that boys actually tend to have ADD more often than girls. That's not a real thing, at least as far as I realize. And please correct me if you have any more data on this. But because boys are 
are seen to be more hyper than girls or you know that saying like boys will be boys and whatever you know boys are going to be more hyper boys are going to be more destructive and x y and z you've all heard it that is why those behavioral problems are seen more as um, a mental disorder and in contrast girls aren't even really allowed to act like that in the first place And aside from the physical impact of lead poisoning, because there's other ways that people can develop ADD, it's also genetic, for example, but it's important to treat this, I think, as a public health issue among South Asian or immigrant communities, just for removing the stigma about it, preventing misdiagnosis, and of course, for raising awareness about what it really is. But I guess I feel like with ADD in particular, it's something that is so easily misunderstood as a behavioral problem or a behavioral trait that both misdiagnosis and not being taken seriously is an issue. And that's why all my focus is on that right now as a public health issue. And I actually had a really ignorant view of ADD myself. And when I was getting diagnosed, I thought that it couldn't possibly be ADD that I have because I thought that people with ADD literally couldn't concentrate on a single thing ever and that they weren't functional people. I'm happy to know that that is not true. And I actually went to several psychiatrists. I was in like just such deep denial and the resounding diagnosis was like, yeah, girl, like you definitely have ADD. But I'm so glad to have learned so much over the last eight years in exploring this disorder and learning how to manage it and learning all these coping mechanisms and meeting lots of people who also have ADD, learning about their stories. And just, I feel honestly like it was it was something that felt when I was first diagnosed, like it was so out of my control and I couldn't do it. And I, I couldn't believe that like, I had to deal with this stupid, annoying thing for the rest of my life. And now I feel completely differently. I feel like it explains so much. And I feel like it's a type of superpower. I feel like I would never have become who I am unless I had ADD. I just would have been a completely different person. I don't know who I would have been. Um, And I don't really like to think about that because I really like who I became. So that's the end of the episode. That's the end of my three o'clock in the morning rant session. Thanks so much for listening. I definitely want to do more episodes on ADDs, something that's very near and dear to my heart and is definitely not talked a lot about. In this episode, I really just wanted to talk about why I see ADD like it's a public health issue. But I definitely want to do more episodes about ADD and, say, the educational system and this American dream that South Asian parents have for us and just kind of how all those things work together. But in the meantime, if anyone has any questions, please reach out. You can reach me at tdcpodcast.com. There's another plug for my website. I will not stop. Or you can email me at thedaisycondition at gmail.com. Or you can visit me on Instagram and Facebook at thedaisycondition. Also, if you're listening on a platform in which you can leave comments and ratings, please consider doing so. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye.